Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who love a good modern day fairy tale adaptation. Emphasis on good. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2000's The Tenth Kingdom. Land of nine kingdoms where fairy tales are true and the wicked witch is real. I hope you like dogs, Wendell. You're going to spend your life as one. A curse on the prince has him running for his life. And his escape opens the way to the most mythical kingdom of all. Wow! Now, three angry trolls run loose in the street. And two average mortals are drawn to the spell. I wish that I could understand everything this dog is saying. We are in the southernmost part of my kingdom. We're right in the forest. You're in terrible danger. What's this? But can anyone live happily ever after in the most fractured fairy tale ever told? They are called the Brothers Gimm. And so it concerns a deadly fever that only strikes on Saturdays. Where's that music coming from? Do you like it? Why haven't you found Wendell yet? They are traveling down the river. This is the Seven Dwarfs' house. What if it never stops growing? I'm gonna die of long hair! The producers of Merlin bring a new kind of charm to the screen. If you want anything made in England, you have to see the two fairy. The who? Where fact and fiction collide in the magical hit of the millennium. Your name is Rumpelstiltskin. No! Night Fever! Night Fever! Their magic is useless! The brothers give Scott Cohen. Rutger Hauer, John Larroquette, Ed O'Neill, Diane Wiest, Kimberly Williams. Rumpelstiltskin the fourth. No. Does it have a rumple in it? The Tenth Kingdom. I'm wishing on a star. I'm wishing on a star. Guys, today's one of those episodes where I'm really nervous again because we are interviewing none other than Scott E. Cohen of 10th Kingdom fame, of Gilmore Girls fame, of Kissing Jessica Stein fame, along with a bazillion other TV shows. And if you're a longtime listener to Sleepover Cinema, you know that Scott E. Cohen holds a very specific place in our hearts. And I can't believe we're going to get to talk to him. I know. we. I have no idea when the first time we would have name dropped him or the 10th kingdom would have been but it was definitely season one like i i yeah. would guess yeah we were in the discord asking you guys have you seen the 10th kingdom we have asked a lot of our friends have you seen the 10th kingdom and Nobody honestly <laughs> yeah no one has seen it but 
we are here to campaign for you all to see it because it is legitimately so good. It's a five-part miniseries that premiered on NBC in 2000. And it's sort of like, it's kind of like the show Once Upon a Time, but like this, it this is doing that before the show Once Upon a Time. Yes, I was going to say this was like the blueprint because also I was thinking like, there's a little bit of like the modern day references in a fairy tale context, but it's before Shrek. It was like ahead of the curve of a lot of things that like have similar elements, but we love this mini series and we're going to talk about it with Scott. We're also going to talk about Gilmore Girls and Kissing Jessica Stein, which is another one we've talked about, but we haven't done an episode on. It's the one with the interesting bisexual discourse around it. So we're going to try to engage Scott in that. (laughs) The fact that we're talking to the straight man of the trio is going to be really interesting because I'm sure that the women who played Helen and Jessica get these questions a lot in Mm -hmm. retrospect. And I bet Scott doesn't really get these questions. So he's about to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be a really good second half of the episode. And okay, watching the 10th Kingdom is not a casual commitment. It is five, one and a half hour long episodes. But um, if you want to commit like one week, one Monday through Friday to a specific TV show, you should make the 10th Kingdom it because it is so good. And you'll get the rest of this interview a lot more if you see it. So definitely go see it. But before we get into the facts and figures about the 10th Kingdom, we have to do question for the culture. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. My question for the culture this week and... Are you surprised that it's a Glee question? Because you shouldn't be, is this. And this is the question that haunts me. For seasons one through three, a lot of the plot hinges upon like the love between Finn and Rachel. I have no idea what people saw in this dynamic that I didn't. But there's no chemistry, correct? So how did this work? Well, I think you can automatically negate that argument by saying they were in a real relationship and they actually were almost married and they actually did suffer immense tragedy. So it's like (laughs) both. Okay, I'm talking of, I'm not talking about the IRL tragedy that is very real, but in universe, there's nothing. This is like my whole thing with Glee in general is everyone's like, Rachel's annoying, Rachel's this. She's literally not that annoying, like at all. Like if you're, it's like people say she's annoying, but then when you watch it, it's like, it could be so much worse. It's like Sharpay is like six times as bad as Rachel Berry. Yeah, but this is coming, this is coming from people who probably have no understanding of annoying, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Their threshold for annoying is really low. Yeah, and no understanding of annoying for a theater person. If theater people in general annoy you, then yeah, she's going to annoy you. Yeah. But like our tolerance is just way higher than normal Through the people. roof. I feel like Finn doesn't do enough to win Rachel over. He's just a large popular boy. A girl like that doesn't want, she doesn't want an intellectual conversation. I promise you. She wants to like be the center of attention and have a support dude. And that's it. To clarify, (laughs) I don't mean any disrespect to the late Corey Monteith. 
the character is just boring to me. And I don't really boring. agree with you, but for the sake of pacing on this good day, I'm just going to say, mean, he, okay. I agree. He, I agree he's boring. Are you ready for the uh, relatively limited facts surrounding the 10th Kingdom? Yep. This series premiered on NBC on February 27th, 2000. This show was generally recommended for those eight years of age and older. Um, It was directed by David Carson and Herbert Wise. David Carson is best known for having directed Star Trek Generations, which is the movie with Kirk and uh, Picard together. He also directed some Deep Space Nine and some episodes of Next Generation. Um, He also directed From the Earth to the Moon and Boat 2142. And then with Herbert Wise, he directed Skokie, I, Claudius, Breaking the Code, and Drama 6167. And the show was created and written by Simon Moore, who also wrote Dinotopia, Traffic, The Quick and the Dead, and Gulliver's Travels. He's also sort of the person who's like carrying the torch for a sequel to The Tenth Kingdom, which we will give you more details on in the interview and also just a little bit later in the facts. So you can see with the synopsis. There was only one synopsis on all three places. So I just wrote down one. Okay, here's the synopsis. Virginia and Tony, a father and daughter living in Manhattan, find themselves in a parallel universe where Snow White, Cinderella, and Little Red Riding Hood are struggling to maintain order. Their kingdoms have been fragmented by trolls, giants, and goblins. That is so not correct. (laughs) Whoever wrote that absolutely did not watch it. Okay, so I just tried to find a more efficient summary that's a bit longer, but you either got this or you got 17 paragraphs. And that is a really good way to explain everything surrounding the 10th kingdom, surrounding the 10th kingdom. It's fish out of water. It's a love story. It's an epic. It's a fairy tale menagerie. It's a five episode miniseries. And the main character is named Virginia. She's like very insecure, down on her luck, New York City waitress. And then her dad, who's named Tony. And they're like scraping along in life. And then everything gets kooky crazy one day and they end up getting transported to like fairy tale land. And fairy tale land is in disarray. Through, I was getting to sorry, the sorry. And it's okay. And th- there's a, there's lots of important details. So they get transported to fairy tale land and it is through a magic mirror. It shows up in Central Park. I'm not going to get into how it happens. But basically, it turns into Virginia and her dad trying to get the magic mirror back to be able to go back home in like a very Wizard of Oz-esque, like get to Emerald City sort of way. Yeah. But along the way, their, like, guide character is Wolf, who is half wolf, half man, just like a classic werewolf, basically, who is played by Scott, who is our guest today. And it's like a love story with Virginia and Wolf, but also they go through all, yes, unlikely romance. But it's called the Tenth Kingdom because there are all these different kingdoms in this fairy tale land. There's like Snow White's kingdom, Little Red Riding Hood's kingdom, Cinderella's kingdom, and it just paints this really cool world, fantasy world that is not shitty. <laughs> and there are like a lot of shitty fantasy shows. It's wrenching. Virginia has mommy issues that will never not be compelling. There's plot twists. The queen is not who she seems. Also, we could make it about the prison industrial complex if we (laughs) wanted to, because there's a lot of people that were in jail and then they get released and blah, blah, blah. 
it's just really good. I'm, there's no way. This is just what it is. Just, you need to watch it. Last thing I'll say, if you guys show interest, we could do a group viewing situation remotely. And I feel like that would be really fun. Now into the taglines. And then there's three taglines. The first one is the most magical event of the millennium, Mm -hmm. which they can say because it's 2000. Do you believe in magic is the second one. And the third one is something magical is about to happen. Okay, as for the cast, we have Kimberly Williams Paisley, as in married to Brad Paisley as Virginia, the main character. She's best known for having played opposite of Steve Martin in Father of the Bride. Um, She's also recently been in a lot of Christmas movies from Hallmark. Love that for her. She also is in According to Jim, Shade, We Are Marshall, and she was a series regular on Nashville for a while. Next, we have Scott Cohen, our guest today, who plays Wolf in this series. He's best known according to IMDb. For The Tenth Kingdom, Love and Other Drugs, and Kissing Jessica Stein. What I'm wondering right about now is, uh, do you want to have dinner with me tomorrow night? Everyone wants to be. Kissing Jessica Stein. And of course, the TV show Necessary Roughness. But to us, of course, he was Max Medina in Gilmore Girls. Max. Lorelai. Hi. Hi, Beck. I didn't know you had a cold. I just recently found out myself. Well, wow. You. Hi. <laughs> How have you been? I've been good. Good. I've been in California. Well, Cowabunga, dude. Yes, that's my official California name. Which was like one of the earliest love interests for Lorelai, right? I think so. And he also was Rory's English teacher at school. Um, He's a very beloved character. And then just a handful of TV shows he's been on semi-recently or very recently. We have Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Billions, The Fix, The Americans, The Carrie Diaries, Allegiance, etc. He has been on a lot of different shows and done a lot of different things, which is really cool. And you're going to hear way more. Next, we have John Laroquette as Tony. He's best known for having been a regular on Night Court for like 10 years. He was also in The Librarians, Stripes, and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Um, and he is like very, very booked to this day. And then next we have Daniel LePayne as Prince Wendell. He is known for being in Upright, Black Mirror, Zero Dark Thirty, and Muriel's Wedding. Next we have Diane Weist as the Evil Queen. Uh, she has three Oscars and four Emmys. This is a very accomplished actress. She's best known for Hannah and her sisters, The Birdcage, Bullets Over Broadway, and Edward Scissorhands um, has also been in a million things. And then next we have Anne Margaret as Cinderella. And now in all of the like advertising for this show, they're like, and Anne Margaret as Cinderella. And I didn't really understand why until today. Um, she's a very famous sex symbol and actress of the 60s. And she was in all of these like very classic movies of the era. And the ones she's best known for from the 60s and 70s and the 90s on one of these is Made in Paris, Bye Bye Birdie, Carnal Knowledge, and Grumpy Old Man. Shout out to her. She's 90 years old currently, I found. We have Cameron Mannheim as Snow White. Um, when I was a kid, I fully thought she was Rosie O'Donnell, which is funny because they they look kind of the same, but like Rosie O'Donnell Not in this really. part would be so funny. And then she is in The Practice, Law and Order, Happiness, and An Unfinished Life. But weirdly, when I was like researching things about this, she was like, I took the role because I thought it was so nice that they would want like an overweight Snow White, which I thought was a really weird comment. And like, she's... 
she's like Hollywood overweight, I guess. But I will say that I did notice that she was larger when yeah, I was a I kid. Mean, there, sh- it's not wrong. Like, I mean, a casting for Snow White is usually like somebody who is a size zero. Right. And then lastly, I had to include him, Warwick Davis, <laughs> because when there's an elf or a troll in a movie, especially in this era, you know he's going to be there. Um, so, of course, he was in Harry Potter, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Willow, Leprechaun, a lot of Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and then he had this TV show for a while called Life's Too Short, um, which was a TV series like based on his life. So he went by his real name. All these other actors went by their real names. And it was like, um, like a satire of his career in Hollywood. And it just seems really funny. I watched some clips of it while I was putting this together. And I was like, damn, maybe I should watch this. Now going into the budget. So the budget was 44 million and there were 14 million viewers watching at the premiere. Um, Worldwide gross, we can't know that because it's television. I will say that according to the internet, like Hallmark sold out of their copies of the movie. So it was like very in demand for at-home viewing. Okay, so when it gets to critic and audience opinions, so there really weren't a lot. Um, Generally, with the reviews that I did find, it was pretty critically panned, which I thought was really sad because I love this show. But yeah, the haters were at large, but it was nothing particularly interesting. So I plucked a few audience reviews from Letterboxd. This is a five-star rating. You know that feeling when, for better or for worse, you watch something 17 years after its original air date that makes you realize it's possibly the most informative and important piece of fiction you were exposed to as a child? Well, neither did I before I rewatched this yesterday. (laughs) That speaks to the thesis of this show so precisely. And I feel like this also applies to us to a certain extent with 10th Kingdom. And then the next one, of course, of course, we need our Prince Wendell is a twink comment, which I honestly don't disagree with. And then last but not least, I watched this a stupid amount of times as a kid. And as a result, I can't hear the word succulent the same ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Cultural context. There is a very intense and involved if not relatively small, fan base for the 10th Kingdom. There's an active Instagram account called The 10th Kingdom Connection. They posted for Halloween. They're posting all the time. They do a week of let's all watch 10th Kingdom. It's very cute and very passionate. They started a petition on change.org to campaign for a sequel to the series, and it currently has 15,000 signatures. So you better hop to signing this petition. And Scott even promoted it. Yes, he did. And we're going to talk about it in the interview with him, I'm sure. But when it comes to the first time we watched this and what we remember about it, there's a lot. We first saw it because our mom bought the DVD for us to watch in the car because we had one of those fancy minivans with the built-in DVD player. Yeah. And we had a long drive, and so we watched it, and then we would just basically, you know, watch sections of it after that because it was really long, and we really liked it, but, like, very rarely are you in the car for long enough to warrant watching the whole thing. Right. So it became 
a thing where we would rewatch the same sections, um, <laughs> like over and over. And there are specific sections that we would watch a lot. Um, but one of them that we would watch a lot was like in the middle, there's this whole like rural village section where like wolf goes full werewolf and there's lots of like shepherdesses. It has like this really <laughs> intense like sexual undertone <laughs> slash overtone that when we it's were kids. It's under, not an undertone. <laughs> it's not an undertone. Now go to bed. Now. Or what? Will you scream? That's what most people do when they see a wolf. They scream. Scream and scream. <gasps> what are you going to do? Stick it in me? That's what everybody does when there's a wolf around. They stick it and they stab it and they smoke it out. When we were kids, I think we were like, something fishy is going on here. <laughs> it felt like somehow you weren't supposed to be watching it. Right. But nothing is actually happening. Like, it's fine. Also, it's important to keep in mind that little Bo Peep in this section is played by Lucy Punch, who is also one of the sisters, the orange sister in Ella Enchanted. She's just like an icon. So like her and Scott and just like... The energy is just really, like, funny and memorable. So we watched that a lot. The ending is really, like, juicy and intense. There's a lot of, like, actual childhood trauma unpacked in this movie in, like, a very comprehensive way. And it's just actually very, very good. I watched YouTube edits of Virginia and Wolf highlights all day, so I'm pretty caught up, but I have not watched the entire thing. I mean, her name thing. is literally Virginia. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, it is what subtle. it is. Subtle. It's very subtle. I was thinking about that today, too. I was like, hmm. It's actually <laughs> funny because in French class, after I saw this movie, you know how you, like, pick a name for like French yeah. class or Spanish class. My French name was Virginie because I <laughs> got it from that basically. <laughs> Mine was Yolanda. <laughs> I like that for you. I can see it. And then Isabel. It was Yolanda and then it was Isabel. It's really fun that you get to have a uh, an alter ego in your yeah. foreign language class. So we're going to take our break and then we will be conversing with Scott Cohen. I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. Christina Yerling-Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. 
Okay, everyone, welcome back. We are so excited to have Scott Cohen with us right now. We're going to zoom in on the projects that have made the biggest impact on us. So that includes The Tenth Kingdom, Gilmore Girls, and Kissing Jessica Stein, all Sounds our good. favorites. Yes. I'm excited to talk about them. Just a little bit of context, because I feel like it will be fun for you to know, maybe. Our mom got us the three-disc version of the 10th oh, game. Are you sisters? Yes, we're sisters. Oh, wow. Okay. Was she a fan, or did she, did she know about it? She definitely saw it in the store and was like, the girls would like that. Let me just get it for them. <laughs> Yeah, we were into all, like, anything that was princess adjacent, yes. we were into. So she probably just saw the front and was like, palace. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah let's do this, will, this will set them up for a little while. Right. Exactly. Well, and the yes. whole thing is, it's long, and we had to do a road trip to North Carolina. So she oh was God. like, this is going to take up the That's time. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. 10 hours, that'll take up a lot of time. But little <laughs> did she know how many times we would end up watching it, because it was many, mm. many, many times. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. It's something that we've talked about so many times just between the two of us. And so it's so exciting to talk to you. It's like crazy. We've seen you perform for hours and hours <laughs> of our lives. That's, I'm, I'm flattered. Let's just start with how did the Tenth Kingdom even like come into your life? How did you get the opportunity? It's such a big undertaking. Like, what's the story? It really was very simple. I had an agent. I just happened to be in the agency's office. Uh, in New York. He uh, he wasn't my direct agent, but um, we knew each other. And I was kind of walking down the hall and he said, Scott, 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 just hold on a second. I have a script that I think you're going to love. And I was like, you know, thinking to myself, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And he said, give me a second, I'll be right back. And he, uh, he came out with this kind of tome of mm-hmm. script. It was the full 10 hours. And he said, you should read this. Uh, I really think you're great for this part. And I thought to myself, I'll never get this. It's like, you know, I'm not in a place in my career where that, you know, they'll hire a a star for this. And and I got on the subway to get back home and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. And I actually went past my stop. I ended up deep in Brooklyn. Uh, I had no idea where I was. And I stayed on the subway until I finished it. And then when I got finally got home, I called him and said, I need this. This is I'm, I'm this is my part. This is me. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know, set me up. I guess there was an audition kind of set up. And I don't really remember an initial audition, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But I remember my callback. Like, I guess my initial audition was enough to get the casting people for me to for a callback to meet with both directors that were that we're going to direct the project and with the writer. And I remember, I guess, having an idea of what the character was, but not having a very clear idea yet. And then as I was sitting in the audition room for the callback to meet um, David Carson um, and Herbie Wise, who were the two directors, and Simon Moore, who wrote it, I was looking at this woman across from me, who I guess was auditioning for uh, Kim Williams' part for Virginia. And um, I started, like, scratching my head. And... And I started to realize, oh, that's what he does. And um, and so I just kind of kept on doing it. And then I kept on asking her, do you want to read with me? Do you want to read with me? <laughs> she probably remembers it as like, you know, if she remembers it or whoever this was. 
She probably mm-hmm. was this annoying actor in the room. Um, <laughs> and I was just like totally, all of a sudden I was like becoming him in the room. And then when I got, when I got into the audition, I was, I was like a live wire. I was just bouncing off the walls. I hung on beams, like whatever, they were like metal beams. And I remember jumping up to these <laughs> and like swinging from these beams. Uh-huh. And they were just like, what happened? What, what is this? <laughs> and at that time, it's, it's, it's so funny because, you know, now actors, you know, we do this self-taping and, you know, you sit in, in a room somewhere where you set yourself up and it, it's very tame. And this, yeah. this was, uh, you know, the spontaneity of this audition. I've yet to kind of feel that again in my career, I think. And then I waited for weeks. And I was in Los Angeles. Is this uh, too much of the story to tell? Or no, we're loving it. No. Please keep so I was going. In, I was in. So I, I auditioned, and I, I thought to myself, "I'll never get it." And then I was in Los Angeles weeks later, and I was sitting on the beach, thinking to myself, "You know, it was in the middle of pilot season, which is like pilot season is you know it used to be like from January to March or April, and uh, often you'd go out if you lived in New York, you'd go out to Los Angeles." And you'd hang out in Los Angeles for a few months and try to get a TV job. And I sat on the beach thinking to myself, you know, this, this, I, this is never going to happen. I'm never going to get this. And then I got, I got a phone call and yes. uh, they offered me the part. Uh, they offered me a certain amount of money and I was told not to take it. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Um, <laughs> and so I, so I passed initially. Wow. And then they came back immediately with a lot more money. And then it was like, see ya. Um, <laughs> and then I spent the year in, in Europe. I mean, it was wow. one of the best, the best things of my life. If they could afford a year in Europe, they could afford yeah. to pay you more. Well, they, they, that, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure. I think they, people are afraid of making things like that anymore. But it's, you know, because mm-hmm. at that time, at that time, it, was a, it ended up being 50 or $60 million to shoot this. That's just a huge, huge amount of money. And I had these two directors. It wasn't like, uh, you know, David Carson would direct this half and then Herbie Wise would, it, would, it was mm-hmm. all mixed up. So it was like, you know, we would do certain aspects. I'm not actually sure who, how they decided who was shooting what. That's actually an interesting question for Simon. Um, <laughs> but uh, first day of, my first day of shooting was with, with, with David Carson. There's a scene with I come in and I see Tony uh, Virginia's father and I mm-hmm. pull out a contract to say, you know, sign your life away for these magic beans. And right, basically, I'm gonna I'm gonna kidnap your daughter. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I didn't even do anything yet. And he just said to me, "I want you to do whatever you want to do, and mm-hmm. I will pull you back when I feel like it's time to pull you back. But I want you to just I want you to be free." Mm-hmm. And as soon as he said that to me, it was over. I was just, you know, <laughs> right. I was free. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's great. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It was, and it was interesting because Herbie was co- the complete opposite of that. And Herbie mm-hmm. was somebody who's like, you know, I want to see your internal life happening. I want to see this emotion come out. I want to see it all in your eyes, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was, that's why it was so brilliant. I, I felt like I was working with two people who really knew what they were doing and Simon, who I thought was a genius writer. So we watched the series like a zillion times as kids, and then we rewatched it recently. And I was really struck by how complicated your character is. Yeah. Like the arc, so much happens. He goes through so much. Yeah. And there's so much to work with. And I was just wondering, I know you kind of just touched on it, but like 
How do you approach developing a character that has potentially so much going on? I think that, I mean, I do think that I brought a lot of that to it. It wasn't just, I mean, the writing was there, obviously, but I think that I complicated him probably more than he should have been complicated. Um, <laughs> I think it, that, that was what it was attractive to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think it did complicate it because it is a complicated story. It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, Virginia's whole story is so deep. I had a fair amount of time beforehand to kind of research stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I definitely researched physicality. I I researched I mean, I I went to libraries. I went to, um, you know, anything that that had anything to do with fairy tales. I was on top of it. I had books everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched videos. I watched, you know, anything that would tell me how wolves would would react to things and act and what what could I kind of glean from uh, any kind of animal kind of anthropomorphizing kind of like. And then psychologically, you know, for me, I don't think it was that much of a stretch to to have such a lust for something, but be so conflicted about it. And then having to make the sacrifice, which was even a bigger choice. And that kind of I think developed over time. I mean, I do have, I do have the scripts and I do have all my notes in them, which I should sell. Um, but uh, <laughs> good money from that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah. One of the great things about doing something for so long and, and it having an arc, it's like doing a movie, right? It's much more difficult to do this in TV because you never know what's going to happen in TV. You never know, you know, from episode to episode what your character's going to do. You kind of maybe know, like you kind of told maybe in the beginning of the season how it's going to all pan out, but you really don't know. Mm-hmm. And in this, I had 10 hours of an arc to play. So mm-hmm. I knew what there was a beginning, a middle and an end. So I, I knew where I was going. And I asked a lot of questions and I, you know, dug down deep. And my wife is usually my coach. And I talked to her most of the time and kind of check in with her. And she wasn't there on set. But, you know, I could ask her kind of ideas that I'm thinking of. And so that was basically it. They trusted me. So anything I came up with was usually seen as okay. And so I, I didn't have to like, I was never hampered. I was never, it was never suggested to me that I, I was doing something wrong. I was always doing something right. Yeah. So ideal. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, remember, I remember I kept on like, like any, like for, for John Larroquette, anytime I had a scene with him, I would repeat him. Right. I was just, you know, oh, and that yeah. was totally like, I just, I just kept on doing that to be, to really be annoying. But like, you know, it was just, and it just kind of like every time and nobody said, don't do that. And I, so I just kept on doing it. And John would react to me like, you know, can you shut, can you shut up? <laughs> Another thing as I was watching and like just listening to the words, Audrey and I both are writers and film people also. So thinking about just, the words on the page, like he very easily could have come across very creepy and you're not creepy at all in your performance. Um, Especially like the lust of it and like kind of like the not, he's not actually a threat really, but like it's baked in there. Um, And he was in love. Yeah. Right. He was looking for a partner. Yeah, exactly. It's all he wanted. Yeah, that's Um, all he wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's all he wanted. He didn't want to be alone anymore. Right. So (laughs) we love this movie so much. It's like so funny to be talking about it. No, me too. We're trying trying to get a sequel going. I mean, we've been doing it for years. We've been trying to get a sequel going. And um, we have a a, a reignition right now. So we're hoping that... uh, Mm. 
maybe some no way. something will happen. Yeah. yeah. It'd be totally different, but it would be, yeah. it'd be great. Yeah, I was going to say, we are totally in reboot season culturally I right know, now. I know, so. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'd be in it, but it, it would it would probably focus on on uh, the child of Virginia mm. and Wolf. Yeah, that would make sense. Mm, yeah. It would be like a, a female character, a female oh. half wolf, half human. Okay. Ooh, that's a good idea. This is juicy. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. That's really cool. If you would, so you were saying that like there were elements to the character that you could relate to. One of my questions here is like when you approach a character, do you first try to go to finding something relatable to you? And if so, like just expand a little bit more on like what resonated with you in this character. Um, well, first I'll just say you, you, I think you always look for something that, that resonates with you or something that scares you, something that challenges you, something that, but I mean, inevitably, you're going to find something in every character that is relatable to you, Mm -hmm. even if it's in fantasy, you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. there's something that is, that if you don't find something that's connected, then it'll, it'll land flat and you won't, Mm -hmm. there won't, there won't be any complication to it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I think for him, the whole idea that he was independent and he was a loner and he was, on his own journey, in his own way, on his own path, you know, controlled, but not controlled, um, sly and manipulative, but pure at heart. And Mm -hmm. in the end, pure, uh, Mm -hmm. that I think does, I, I, I find that whether that's a real part of me or not, you know, I mean, I think parts of that are the wanderer, the survivor, the adventurer, the seer of, of what is around him and uh, what he, you know, what he sees as, as the life in the forest. He's so much a part of it, but at the same time, he lives a life that's not part of it at all. Probably the most important part of him that was the most interesting and the most relatable was this bifurcation of his personality. So his, his inability to relate to either side of who he was and always fighting, you know, the animal in him, but at the same time, not being so comfortable in a human world. It's not like he was, you know, he is part this and part that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would say that that's probably the thing that I'm I'm most related to, to being, being being an outsider of sorts and but wanting to be an insider, but then not really being comfortable being inside. So you want to stay on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was this production process like? It was such a long period of time to be gone. Like, what were the circumstances of your choosing to do it? And then what was it like when you were there? Choosing to do it was, I mean, there was no, it was, I was going to do it. I mean, I left my wife and my son. That's always hard. It is the nature of this business that, you know, it is really difficult to leave. Usually when you are then in the midst of something, it's fantastic when you're there. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the separation and the anxiety that goes into leaving is horrendous. And I knew I was going to be gone for a long time and how that was going to work out. Well, I wasn't really quite clear on. And my kid was was young, so he was young enough to kind of go somewhere, but just, you know, any time. But at the same time, we, we really believed in stability and and I think that we felt like it was important for him to kind of just stay where he needed to stay. But then, and then they actually came at one point 
they came a couple of times. And then at one point, my wife's father died in the middle of them. And that was mm. terrible. Yeah. Um, and that was like my son's closest grandfather. Oh, I, I went back, actually. Yeah, I went back at one point. I needed to get back for my son's birthday, I decided. Oh. And so, um, <laughs> and I did everything in my power to get back. And at first, they weren't going to let me go. And then I was like, I just want to go for like a few days. And then like the jet lag, but I, and I went and it was great, but it was like, uh, it was, I mean, the jet lag was just really yeah. so, so intense. Yeah. I, I had been working, so I knew what working was like and I had gone to different places, but this was like, I was shooting at Pinewood Studios, which was just history mm-hmm. upon history, shooting in the forests outside of London and living in London, living in, in France, living in uh, Germany, living in Austria, um, living in Italy. I mean, it, it, this was like, wow. I'm like this. I mean, it was just absolutely brilliant. And mm-hmm. I did all the things that I wanted to do, if, you know, going to Europe. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I was working a lot, but I was enjoying every town that we worked in and met lots of friends. And I have friends all over the world now. Just as a side question, what does your wife do? She is uh, a writer and she's a visual artist. And um, cool. at the moment, she's uh, we're actually working on a play of hers. We're about to produce a play of hers. She does like uh, botanical art, but she does like fairies and botanical art. Ooh, um, and then she does cool. glass sculpture. So she does it's called lost wax casting, which is you actually build molds to put glass in and then it melts down into these molds. And they're all like characters, fairy characters that are kind of nature half animal half you know all the all that kind of stuff that's so cool yeah it's pretty cool everything you just said is so up our alley in general yeah. but yeah like <laughs> our mom's a visual artist hannah's a playwright who also has a giant fairy tattoo so yeah you know, oh, wow. all that. You're, you're right up. where do you guys live <laughs> audrey's in new york i'm in cleveland we both went to nyu oh god okay yeah yeah come up and visit. come yeah, up yeah. come up and visit sometime We'll give you a whole tour. Oh, my God. I'm like running to New York currently. And then, okay, this is just me revealing, like, how deep the research went. But your son is a (laughs) scientist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is he? How old is he? He's 27. I'm his age. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of had a feeling we would be the same age, but I was like, I don't know. Um, That's really cool, though. I was just curious. Um, Where did you find that? He's a physicist. That's so cool. That's awesome. A couple of years away from his PhD. He, at eight years old or nine years old, he said he wanted to go to MIT. Mm-hmm. And we were like, uh-huh. I, I didn't even know what MIT was. And <laughs> I, I soon found out. And we were like, okay, you can go to MIT, whatever. Um, and then he ended up going to MIT. And so it, it's, wow. you know, it's kind of crazy. He's really smart and he's mm-hmm. really way into it. And it's very deep what he does. I don't know if you follow my Instagram at all, but I posted a couple of things that he's doing at the moment. And it's that's how I figured it's it out. Beyond comprehension. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Um, but he's great. But right. uh, he's as normal as normal could be. And, you know, he's, he's dealing with fleas in his apartment at the moment. And so he's, right. his dog comes in with fleas. And, you know, so he's, he's, that's, you know, just normal shit. I was just right. curious. Yes, yeah. So I'm the 10th kingdom assigned person, and then Audrey's going to do the next two. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the fandom is very passionate, correct? Yes, it's very passionate. And, and um, weirdly enough, very passionate in Russia. Really? Very. Interesting. <laughs> so what? how does that manifest? Like, what's get, the concept? I mean, I haven't gotten uh, Instagram 
posts or tweets or in a long time, it's like nine months, but it was, you know, a lot. A lot of DMs in Russian. I am from Moscow. Hi, I'm from <laughs> Moscow. Hi, I'm from Moscow. Hi, I'm from Siberia. Hi, I'm from... Oh my gosh. I so what could the distribution situation have been? <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see any money from it, so I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was big. I think France, it was huge. Austria, I think it was huge. New Zealand and Australia was really big. All the Eastern European, Poland, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, all those, mm-hmm. Czechoslovakia, all those, Ukraine, and now, and, and Russia. And it's um, uh, England, definitely. England's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ireland. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure they made a lot of money on it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got global reach. Yeah. It has it definitely has global reach, yes. Yeah. What do you feel like you learned from the experience and like took with you? Who you are as a human being and who you are as an actor rarely match up unless you're really really lucky and you're developing stuff for yourself all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, so things that come to you it, it's so rare that things really kind of mesh in a way that you are really doing you, right? And 10th Kingdom was one of those things. It taught me a little bit about commitment and how fun the work can be if you kind of let yourself go and you just allow the work to kind of take place. It's not always that easy because the material doesn't always match up. The, The freedom in a moment to be just me in that moment and not have any judgment on it or not fear any judgment on it is something that I, 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 I know that I, I can do, right? I don't always do it, but I know it's there. There's a certain bar that I have. And, mm-hmm. and Tenth Kingdom was a huge part of that. Audrey, your turn to take <laughs> the <right>. wheel. <laughs> Here we go. Gilmore Girls. Okay, so also funnily enough, when I was a senior at NYU, I was a part of this film festival called Fusion that like celebrates specifically women, non-binary people in film. And our woman of the year when I was a senior was Amy Sherman Palladino. Oh, wow. We had like such a crisis trying to get her <laughs> to that event because <laughs> she was filming Maisel. And she, there was some like scheduling mishap or something. And so we had to like cancel the woman of the year event. And then, and then she was like, wait, no, we can do it. And then it ended up getting rescheduled for the next day. And it did happen. But um, just, just, that's my Amy Sherman Palladino um, anecdote. She's so specific. And like it, (laughs) obviously her voice is very clear in Gilmore Girls because she does she does talk fast and she yeah. is a quick wit. Yeah. But at the same time, like she's even larger than that. I feel like she's just like larger than life yeah. in a lot of ways. I would agree with that. There was some interview I watched or something where she was talking about how the show Gilmore Girls was kind of slow to grow to popularity because it was on a network. Like there was no streaming, there was no social media. So like it was a word of mouth type of growth. And so when you got on to Gilmore Girls, I was wondering like what you knew about the show. Had you seen it? Well, I got on really early. I think I knew Lauren Graham a little Mm -hmm. bit. Amy might've known me a little bit, but I think she probably took her cues off of Lauren and Lauren's just like, you know, let's get Scott going. And Mm -hmm. that's what it seemed like to me. And I actually said, no, I didn't want to do it. I mean, it wasn't that much money. And, and it was, I felt like, you know, it's, I don't really want to do a character like this. And, um, mm-hmm. and my wife actually said, uh, she, we, we watched the pilot together. 
<laughs> she's like, you have to do this. This is fantastic. And so, uh, so I was like, so then I, t- I took it. I knew just the pilot, which I thought was good. I knew Lauren, who I think is a genius. Finally met Amy, who I now think is a genius, but didn't know her then. And I kind of came into it really with eyes wide open and and no like you know uh, feeling about it. it. Just I mean I didn't know you know if it was going to be a success or not. I remember kind of actually hanging around. Yeah. I remember hanging around. We were shooting at night in the first season, and I remember they got the they got the message that they were going they were getting picked up for a full season, and everybody was and I was just like oh, okay, um, <laughs> am I involved in it? Um, <laughs> And, um, and so it, that's kind of how it went. And, and I, I really keyed into Amy really early on. This was a situation where she had her way with all these other actors. Like everybody had to do it a certain way, but I, I wasn't on that list. Like mm-hmm. I, I really got away with like just being me and my timing, my kind of how I wanted to say a certain line. I would never argue with her. Like I, I wasn't like, you know, no, this line has to be said. But if I, if I said it in a way, she would, she would let it go where there are other actors. She would be like, no, you have to say this word, this word, this word. And that relationship lasted, but you know, she put me in her, in her next show. I, I just found her to be fantastic, warm, intelligent, creative, fast moving powerhouse of a comedian writer uh, and an understanding of the human condition in so mm-hmm. many, on so many levels. And Dan, I think helps her quite a lot. I mean, I think that Dan is totally part of that team, but she is the power man. She is like, mm-hmm. she's extremely powerful. When you said that you were like allowed to say things however you wanted or kind of follow your own impulses, because there is such like a specific cadence to a lot of the stuff that she directs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I've watched episodes that you're in, it does just seem like you, like you're not putting anything on yeah it's, it's weird nice. I, I yeah and I, I didn't, it wasn't planned that way I just did mm-hmm. I just did what I did mm-hmm. and again she never said no so I was but I heard her say no to a lot of other people so I knew you're just special was, I guess yeah I was like <laughs> she, it was it was it was it was actually really funny because there was there was some point where I had this sweater and I I wore it like on set like in rehearsal or something like that and she didn't like my my costume. She was just like so frustrated with my my costume. And she's like, he should be wearing something like that, right? And she points <laughs> like to what I'm wearing. And and uh, and 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 so the costume said, well, can he wear that? And she's like, God, can you wear that? And I was like, yeah, sure, I don't care. And it's like so. I mean, so I think that she just she liked who I was, and mm-hmm, you know, and right. and, and um, appreciated who I was, and. And wrote and wrote me and wrote for that for me. What an easy way to go into a job. Yeah, <laughs> just totally. to be like, just be yourself. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just be you. I mean, you know, you had to, you knew that you had to like get, you know, there were so many pages of dialogue. I mean, you like you're like, right. oh, God, I'll never remember, you know. I mean, Lauren was such a pro at it. Um, but yeah, when you get into a rhythm of it, you could find it after a while. You you know how to memorize stuff after a while. But is there any like particular scene or episode that it kind of like sticks out in your mind I think I think I saw earlier you were in like 13 episodes something like that the character has a real arc and it's very like contentious even to some people (laughs) oh no yeah were you you guys were you at this fan fest no Uh uh-uh no so there was a fan fest I've never been to one I went to this one in Maine there was a huge Max Medina 
it's huge. I mean, it's not like, and they wanted me to repeat these lines that I say that I actually had to look up. I had to, I had to say, <laughs> when, when did I say that? And, um, <laughs> and I had to like memorize how I said it so I could say it for them. In Gilmore Girls, people care most about basically the different pairings. Like there's, you know, Rory and all her different guys and there's Lorelai and her different guys. And like, do you get the feeling that people like, do people love Luke and Lorelai more than? Oh, yeah, Lorelai? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't. Yeah, people hate me. People hate me. <laughs> yeah, why, though? Oh, you, I get I get hate mail. It sounds like your TMs are a really interesting place. Are to wild. Be. People, people, people don't like me. It's OK. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm so like funny. I mean, all right. I mean, that, that happened up at, at the Fan Fest. It's like people, you know, there was this huge line to get autographs and pictures of me. But, and then every once in a while, someone would come up and say, I, I never really liked you, but I'd like to. <laughs> you know, I've always been shy of doing stuff like that, but it is what it is. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I've never been really that good at it. I was never good at like answering email, fan mail. And I tried to be, but, you know, I never hired a company to do it for me. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard. It's very difficult because, you know, especially when you've had, you know, some success, you kind of always want to go back to your successes. And it's hard, you know, you have to like let your successes go and move on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's always been difficult for me because it's like, you know, because success is so great. Yeah. So you kind of hang on to like certain things that, that, you know, but what you're, but I guess what you really try to do is try to focus on what what created the the success in the first place and move, move along in that direction. It, It is weird. Just having some celebrity and 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 people recognizing you when you just you know you're you're going and getting some you know seltzer at the grocery store <laughs> yeah. and you're dressed like you know oh my god is that really how he dresses yeah okay well we basically knocked out my Gilmore Girls questions mm-hmm. all that all the oh, yeah. um, I'd rather talk about kissing Jessica Stein anyway sure. I um had heard about it probably in college at some point. I, like we, I didn't watch it as a kid. I don't know how that would have happened. I didn't actually watch it until somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. And it started me down this path of like reading what the reactions to the movie were when it came out. And there's a lot of interesting stuff because this is, it came out in 01 and it is about a bisexual woman. And that was rare at the time. And so I was wondering like, when you, I don't know how that came, the film came into your sphere, but when you read the script, did it feel like progressive to you that that's what this was about? That's a great question. And I, I don't, I can't answer it. To me, I think at that time, being bisexual was not an issue. So it's not something, right? it's not something that I thought would be new and exciting. Although we actually just did some interviews for for the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. and there were, mm-hmm. there were a couple couple of people really who talked about it being kind of a gay anthem and how it changed people's lives as they have watched it um, over the years uh, or when they first saw it, like trying to live the life that they wanted to live and the freedom of living it that way. But I, I did not have that response to it when I read it. After that, I was in Los Angeles at a, in a casting director's office and Jane Lynch came out of the casting office as I was sitting in like the, the, the room waiting to go in. And she comes out and she's like, oh my God. You're Scott, you're Scott Cohen. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, you were Jessica Stein. That's my favorite movie of all time. Oh. At like that time, who knew, who knew who Jane Lynch was? So, I mean, no, I, I did not have that feeling. 
nor I mean, nor was it important for me as the character to have that feeling. I mean, for me as the character that have that feeling was really just about how could she love that person more than me? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I need to learn something from her not loving me anymore. Like that, it was, it, my journey was my journey. What had nothing to do with her, her experiment in bisexuality or right, uh, her choice right. of being with a woman. That's so interesting though, because like had another actor gotten this role who comes from a different place, the character could have come off in a very different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like watching the movie, I never got the sense that your character was like discriminatory or was like grossed out. And that is something that still very much lives on to this day. There are lots of, you know, straight guys who react that way, who would react that way. I appreciate that. But I think with this movie, a lot of people were like expecting tropes. And then when they go in and they actually see it, it's like how every scene kind of subverts a trope in a way that you're not expecting. And that's why I've watched it like a few times now, because I just think the writing is really good. They were very uh, like you had to say it like this. These words, you know, which is very funny because they they originally it was originally a play. So they wanted to remain true to what they wrote. It was also directed by somebody who was so sweet, I think. And, and and is also gay, I think, you know, did not, you know, I mean, I think his, you know, whether he thought it was something that was uh, present and, and needed to be said, I don't know. He definitely didn't direct it like that. You know what I mean? He didn't direct it to have that kind of point of view. It was really just mm-hmm. the point of view of her and uh, Heather's character and my character and everybody else, and Tova, um, who did phenomenal job. If anything, I think it's really the conflict of what that is for people that are not that. I mean, I think that, you know, both for Jessica and for uh, her mother um, and what, what you are, you know, are you sacrificing anything? Are you moving to something better? Are you like, if you've come from this life and you go to this life, you know, what is it? What does that change mean? Can I love the way I love? And can I just be the way I be? And can I be loved the way I've always wanted to be loved? Like what, why is there a difference? Those are the questions I think that get asked and, and, and get answered in, in the movie. There's such a sweetness to it that those kinds of questions and, uh, topics um, are, are much more easily digested, I think, for, for most people. I think at the time, there probably was uh, some reviews that were a little harsher, you know, saying yeah. it's kind of saccharine and, you know, that we need movies that really kind of talk about like, you know, um, right, the what, struggle. What, what, you know, what being, you know, making these choices is all about. Um, mm-hmm. But they did it in a really beautiful way. And plus the yeah. fact that, you know, it was New York was another character in it and they did New York really, really well before Sex in the City. Yeah, I love how they shot it. Yeah, it's interesting because a movie like that can polarize on both sides. Yeah, I think, wasn't there wasn't there some like uh, kind of anti-watch uh, the film when it first came out? I feel like there was something that went on. I know that even like, you know, gay reviewers who watched it would be like, mad that she didn't end up with Helen and you know this is like a wishy-washy film like this isn't this isn't actually an LGBTQ film but I what I appreciate is that now there's like I think we finally gotten to a point hopefully where there's room for that kind of nuance like there was room then but are were the gay people willing to see that (laughs) I think we might finally be at a point where there's a little bit more like give and take like people make 
people are with people they might not end up with forever. And that's okay. Okay. Mm. I completely agree. So our audience is very gay, just so you know. Um, Yes. (laughs) And this is a movie that we're always trying to get people to watch because it's such a conversation starter. Especially there is like this cultural moment going on right now about bisexual women being with men and like wanting to be like visible or like valid or etc like in the Just scope like, of the queer community a lot of times it's white women it is who are, who are born <laughs> as women who are like clinging to whatever level of like they like they like want to be like <laughs> okay okay you know how being like the norm, like for example, like a straight white person is very like the odds of you being a bad person are higher than if you're not okay. because of all the privilege <laughs> that you've lived with. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it's basically like if you're me, for example, because I am bisexual. If I'm like I'm bi, so I can get out of falling into this like oppressive majority. Like you want to cling to that little shred of like minority status. I got you. I got you. Got you. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Thank you for going to on prove, that to with prove us. that you're 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 of the of the zeitgeist. Yes, right, exactly. Right. Okay. And this and Jessica Stein is like uh like a swan song. Right. <laughs> yeah, for a lot right. of that. Right. Um yeah. and so do you ever okay, obviously it's gonna be different. Like the DMs for Gilmore girls are gonna be yelling at you for being the wrong man. But Do you ever get (laughs) this sort of feedback for this movie? Are people like, you're the villain? I don't think so. There's not a whole lot of conversation about kissing Jessica Stein, like in terms of fans. Mm -hmm. The only thing that, the things I get are, and it's usually people of the LGBTQ community that see me and say, oh, you were in Kissing Jessica Stein. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. I never get some weird, like, you the villain. <laughs> Luckily, you know, she she never should have ended up, you know, with you or... She, does she end up with me or it's kind of like it's 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 um it's ambiguous ambiguous yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. she never should have you know re-met you in the, in the bookstore right you know? <laughs> nothing like that you know I think yeah. it's just I mean and from my point of view I mean I, I saw this thing Ethan Hawke uh, and I'm actually a huge fan of Ethan Hawke's me and too Ethan Hawke somebody asked, must have asked him like what's the purpose of art you know something like that and he was talking about how, like, you know, people don't really, like, most people don't like poetry. You know, most, most people don't like, you know, things like that. But, like, until somebody dies or there's a funeral or you lose a child, then all of a sudden art becomes, you know, poetry becomes something that you're desperate to understand the idea of, like, how to make sense out of the life yeah. that you're living. And I think that that's so true, right? And I think that unless you're a, just a hater, I think people <laughs> just see the natural progression of things, people make choices and people Mm -hmm. make mistakes and people make decisions in their life that may hurt people. And this movie is an example of what art can do to express in a way that is palatable for all of us to to kind of witness and, 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 and see people aren't bad because they make these decisions. They're just human because they make these decisions. That was very well said. I love that quote that or that video, whatever it is, I've seen that. Have you saw it? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's so good. The room for nuance with young people has gotten so <laughs> small in in terms of Twitter and, and things like that. Most young people do have 
nuance and they are willing to think about things in a different way. But sometimes you can just forget that because you're just seeing people say, this person did this, they're bad. This person did this, they're Mm -hmm. good. It's not really like that. Well, I mean, social media does not help because it really, like I was actually, I hurt my foot the other day. So I've been kind of just like lying around <laughs> and, um, and, I'm, I'm, and I was watching a lot of like video, TikTok video. Mm-hmm. And like you, you're witnessing everybody at their best and you're like, fuck, is everybody this amazing? At <laughs> like, do they, I, I mean, everybody's like kind of perfect. Yeah. And, and then you think to yourself, are they? <laughs> It's just so weird, man. It's like, you know, it's that breeds the inability to actually have a conversation about foible and flaw and, Mm -hmm. you know, human nature. And it's like everybody's coming from the high ground. Like not everybody can be on the high ground. Like the highlight reel really distorts that. Last question is this. As I was writing all these questions, thinking about all these characters, I was thinking to myself, Obviously, they all came from a similar time frame. Like, what do they have in common? What do these characters have in common? And what emerged to me is that all these characters have a significant amount of emotional complexity to them while also distinctly playing a supporting role to an equally, if not slightly more complicated female lead. And I'm wondering if you think that impacted the trajectory of your career overall or like, why do you think that was your type in that moment? I personally don't think I'm really an alpha male, right? And if you're not that guy, then you're often somehow a foil to a female character. What I am capable of bringing to that is a very complicated version of, of somebody that's, that makes their life much more interesting. I don't think it necessarily pushed me in any trajectory. I think that's just where I was. I've always been really good with women. I'm not that great with other men. Mm-hmm. Like I don't play well with, with boys. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I wish I did but I don't. Mm -hmm. I think I just relate to women better, um, whether it's because there's a sexual charge to it or whether there's a familial sense to it or whether there's a mother sense to it Mm -hmm. or whether it's a sisterly sense or whether there's, I'm not really sure what it is exactly, but that's where I feel most comfortable. Yeah. So I don't really think that it was necessarily um, determinant of of career moves. I think Mm -hmm. it's just kind of where the climate found me. Where your essence just fit in naturally, yes, like exactly. you're being yourself. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. I think what you said about playing those kind of roles is why we have loved you and everything we've watched you so. in. I hope so. I <laughs> yeah. hope so. We were trying totally. to put it into words earlier, and I think you just did it beautifully. <laughs> yeah, I, never, you just I, did I, it. I never really thought of it that way until just now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Scott. It's been a dream. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> you guys are so great. I, I don't even know how you found me. How did you find me? I, so we've talked about you <laughs> on the show before. And I was like, my goal is to get Scott this season. So I went <laughs> to your Instagram and I comment, I DM'd you, but then I commented on one of your pictures and was like, check your DMs. <laughs> and then you did. So that's how it's I did it. It's a method though. It's a method it works. that works. It I, does work. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> The manipulation that works. (laughs) Exactly. You just throw in some like sparkling heart emojis and like no one knows. Um, Thank you guys so much. I'm excited. Uh, You know, if you're both in New York, let me know. And if you want to take a trip up here, I'm happy to 
give you a little tour and you can see what we do up here. And yes. uh, I live in the country, so it's, uh, and you seem like very pure and honest young, young folk. <laughs> Thank you so much. Audrey and Hannah. Yes. Yep. That's us. Can you guys believe that conversation? <laughs> I was nervous, as you know, and then it was such a such a beautiful conversation and good experience. It was lovely. He lived up to my childhood expectation, 100%. He did. That whole section about Ethan Hawke and the quote and all that stuff, I was like, chef's kiss. So You're like, good. you're speaking my language. Yeah. I hope that you are going to go to your computer or your TV and ask for the 10th kingdom and watch it. Because guys, I promise you it is so good. And if you haven't seen Kissing Jessica Stein, it is such a beautifully messy representation of bisexuality that is not apologetic for what it is. It's chaotic and that's why it gets everyone mad and we cannot recommend it enough. It's really, really good. And very rewatchable. If any of you are the people that DM him saying, I hate Max Medina, you're not allowed to listen to Sleepover Cinema <laughs> anymore. So the door is that way. And you guys should definitely follow Scott on Instagram. His username is at Scott E. Cohen. And I'm pretty sure his Twitter is the same thing. But he's the nicest person ever, as you just learned. And we are so happy that he joined us. That was one of our podcast bucket list items. His Twitter is the same, confirmed. Okay, Audrey, you know the drill. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me at Adriana Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And of course, you can join our Discord server at any time. The link is in the episode description and on evergreenpodcasts.com. You can check out our merch at twopingproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, scrunchies. And more. Puffer pens. Puffy <laughs> pens. Um, and if you like the show, if you're part of the Scott Cohen Nation, rise and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really love to read them. They make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Deuces. Bye. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.